Thank you, Shannon. Good morning, everybody. My name is Warren. I'm one of the elders here at Soma Eastside. And what a joy to be able to preach to you the very last sermon of 2023. So let me wish you a happy new year. And it's great to have the kids and the students in the room today. I always enjoy uh, the youthful presence of of our church family with us uh, on these Sunday mornings. So youth, kids, thank you so much for being in the room as well. And you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't need to be reminded that you're getting old, right? And, and I had one of those moments, Marty, you might be able to appreciate this, but yesterday we were talking about our plans for New Year's Eve tonight, right? And and we decided that we're going to do a family movie marathon. And my wife made special note to text me and say, you should probably take a nap on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Otherwise, you won't be able to stay up all night. <laughs> Anybody else relate to that? Okay, good. I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Well, I do want to you know, talk a moment about New Year's because... It's not that often that you get to come together and enjoy worship with your church family on New Year's Eve. And I was thinking about that a little bit, and I, I saw this tweet from a sports writer that I, I follow named John Finkel. And he was talking about how in the early 2000s, he was working for the magazine Men's Fitness. And they were brainstorming ideas for their January 1st magazine. And he came up with the idea in their brainstorming session, New Year, New You. And they decided to run with it. And that year, they produced the magazine, New Year, New You, on the cover. And he said the next year, everywhere he looked, that phrase was repeated. And he said, and every subsequent year, I see that phrase repeated over and over and over again uh, in every context you can imagine. And I think there's a reason for that right? Because there's something about this idea that I can turn the page on a calendar and all of a sudden become a new person. We love the idea of a fresh start and becoming someone new, someone different than we were yesterday. And it reminded me of this scene from one of my all-time favorite movies. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? Yeah, okay, one of my all-time favorite movies. And there's this small little scene. It's not a significant moment in the movie, but there's this scene on New Year's Eve. And Forrest has gone to visit his friend, Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan has lost his legs. He's in a wheelchair. He's miserable. He's an alcoholic. He's depressed. And he finds himself in a bar on New Year's Eve with a couple of other women who have made some really bad life choices. And they're right around the corner from Times Square, and this woman comes up to Forrest, and they're looking at a television, and she says, I was right there, Times Square. And she says, she says, don't you just love New Year's? You get to start all over. Everybody gets a second chance. And maybe you've come into this place this morning looking for a second chance. Maybe there's a sense of you that you want to leave something behind from 2023 and enter into 2024 
with a fresh start. And can I just tell you this? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about second chances. And additionally, it's the only hope that we have to experience second chances. I I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing that we can do to turn a page on a calendar and all of a sudden become a new you. No amount of resolutions that I might make, no, no amount of you know, I'm going to do better this year than I did last year, is going to make me into a new person. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can become a new person. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 and 17. He says, at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Outside of these walls, and maybe even amongst a few of us here this morning, there are those that think of Christ, Jesus, from a human point of view. He's just a guy who did something at a point in history, but he has no relevance or bearing in my life today. Maybe that's where you are right now. But listen to what he says. He says, how differently we know him now. Why? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is the only hope of entering into a new year and becoming a new you. It's through Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus, we put to death the old person, the old self, and we become alive to a new self, a new creation, the Bible says. And that makes us an entirely new person with an entirely new future. So if you haven't made that decision, that is the decision of all decisions. It's the choice of all choices. There's nothing else that I will say today that will come anywhere near in importance to this simple thing, that if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never be the person that you long to be. But I know that there are many, many people in this room today who have made that decision. You have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And as a result, you are a new creation. You are a new person. And so as you enter into this new year, What can we be thinking about? What can our focus be as we enter into 2024? And I think that this is a great time of year for us to look in the mirror, for us to evaluate our own priorities and what is really important to us. So I want to invite you to consider as a church, what is really important? What is the top priority for us as the body of Christ here in 2024 in Issaquah, Washington. And I think that the passage that I want us to look at this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4 really gives us a roadmap for what it looks like, for what it looks like to be living with our chief priority in place. So if you have your Bible, if you want to look on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 4, 8, this is what Peter tells us should be the number one priority for us as a church in 2024. Above all, keep loving one another 
earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So I just want to take the next few minutes to just share three big ideas about this number one priority for us as a church and as the people of God. The first one is this. The love and the lordship of Jesus Christ is above all. Now, if you are a sports fan like me, this is like the ultimate time of the year. I mean, if you don't know, college football bowl games are going on right now. My beloved Washington Huskies are in the national championship hunt. They've got the Sugar Bowl tomorrow. Yes, go dogs. So I will either be ecstatic or devastated by the end of the night tomorrow. You may know that I host a, a podcast called The Dog and Duck Show. I bleed purple. That's, that's what I'm all about. But as, as a sport fan, I am constantly getting into completely ridiculous debates about who is the goat in any arena of sports. Who is the greatest of all time? So let me just settle a few things for you real quick. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Ken Griffey Jr., and the 1991 Washington Huskies. Okay, we got that settled. We can move on. In the Bible, according to God, and there's no debate, it's indisputable, the goat of all goats is love. Paul says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in all the world? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the number one way that people are going to see my love played out is by loving your neighbor as yourself. And now Peter adds to love's goat status by saying these words, above all, love. Above all, love. And so what that means for us today is you can take every goal, every plan, every resolution, every priority, every ideal, and every idea that you have in your life, and you have to put it below love. Love is above all. God is the author of love. God is the originator of love. Love exists because God exists. We love because God first loved us. The, any definition of love which misrepresents or diminishes the essential nature of who God is is not truly love. God's love is of, is of infinite worth because it came at the cost of his only son, Jesus Christ. The riches of the world are of zero sum without the love of God. Paul says, without love, I am nothing and I have nothing. So if love is truly above all, our lives should be oriented with that at the very top of everything that we do. So here's my simple question for you today. What have I placed above all in my life? What have I placed above all in my life? You know, 
during the holidays, we love to watch a lot of Christmas movies. And at least one time during the Christmas season, we will come together and we will do the unthinkable. We will watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> and we have a fun way of doing it. Uh, we, we create a Hallmark bingo card. And all of us get out the bingo card and, and then we just watch for all of the common Hallmark Christmas movie tropes and we scratch them off until someone gets bingo. So this year, Micah got the bingo uh, first, but all of us eventually got it. But the next day, I actually turned the TV back on and it was on the same channel. And I heard these words from a father talking to his daughter in another Hallmark Christmas movie. And this is what he said. He said, the most important thing in all the world is that you are happy. The most important thing in all the world is that you are happy. That is an above all statement, right? And here's the deal. If that is the, the above all priority that you're going to live your life with, you are going to find yourself constantly disappointed. What is your above all? Is it your happiness, your career, your life goals, your travel plans, your kids' academic success? If you have not placed the love and the lordship of Jesus Christ above all, then your life will constantly feel like a boat with a gaping hole in it. And no matter how hard you paddle, no matter how vigorously you try to keep it afloat, it will continue to sink. The mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal, he talked about something that has often been referred to as a God-shaped hole. What he actually said was that in every man and woman, there is an infinite abyss that can only be filled by an infinite God. St. Augustine pursued happiness and pleasure above all else, and it only left him empty and depraved. But when he made the love and the lordship of Jesus Christ, his above all, he wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So what are you placing above all? Love must be above all because Jesus is above all. Philippians 2.9 tells us, God elevated him to a place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. I love that, that idea that the name of Jesus, you could say, is above all. Like, he is the above all of above all. And any time that you try to elevate any other name or any other thing or any other person into the place of honor that belongs solely to Jesus, you will find yourself empty and unable to find the thing that you are truly looking for in this life. So the second idea I want us to share together is this. How do we love above all? How do we do it? 
If love is the number one priority, if it's the above all, how are we supposed to do that? And Peter uses the Greek word here, ektenes, to describe this type of love. He says, keep loving one another earnestly, ektenes. And what the ESV translates as earnestly, it is also translated in other versions as deeply, fervent, unfailing, intense, constant, sincerely, and even the word severe in other translations of this verse. And what's fascinating about this word ektenes is that it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. The, the, the one that we just read, and the second one is used by the author of the Gospel, Luke, Luke himself, who wrote when describing the moment when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, preparing on a Thursday night to go to the cross on a good Friday. And this is what Luke wrote about Jesus using this same word. And being in agony, actenes, actenes, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So here you have Peter. He's trying to find the word to describe the way that you and I are supposed to love one another. And the word that he draws into this letter is the same word that Luke uses to describe that moment before Jesus chose to go to the cross for you and I. Ectenes. It describes how we're to love one another, and it is a love that endures. I've learned a little bit over the last couple months about enduring. On November 26th, myself and Ethan Hare, another member here at Soma Eastside, we ran our first marathon, the Seattle Marathon. I know what some of you are thinking. You don't look like you're in good enough shape to run a marathon. You're right. I wasn't, but I did it anyways. So we're out there. It's a cold Sunday morning. We're running this marathon. I'm doing pretty well. I'm at about mile 18, feeling good. I had a pace of nine minutes and 45 seconds per mile, which was right on track with my goal. Then all of a sudden, as I'm kind of coming up to the Green Lake portion of the race, I begin to experience something that I've never experienced in my life before. Both of the muscles in my quads began to spasm up and cramp up at the same time. And so I thought to myself, Brian's nodding his head, although Brian has never experienced this for himself. <laughs> They're cramping up at the same time, and I think, okay, well, I'll just stop for a moment and stretch out my legs, right? Well, as soon as I stop to stretch, both legs begin to seize up from the top to the bottom, and I realized that at that moment, I only have one of two choices. I can literally either fall to the ground, curl up in the fetal position, and give up, or I can keep moving. But there were only two choices. And so I decided to keep moving, 
And I just did the very best I could for the next eight miles to keep going through that pain. And I've got to tell you, there was a, a level of understanding of what ectenes meant in that moment. No matter what, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how difficult it is, just keep moving. And what I want to say to you, Soma, what I want to say to you from my heart to yours is this, is that as we enter into 2024, there are going to be some things that you encounter, that we encounter, that are going to be really hard. And I think what God wants us to hear is this, keep loving. Just keep loving. No matter how hard life gets, keep loving. No matter how hard things might be in your marriage right now, just keep loving. No matter how difficult things might be with some of the dynamics of your family, just keep loving. Maybe even being in this church, being offended, hurt, disappointed by somebody, just keep loving. But don't give up. Actenes love is not easy. It's not convenient. And the world does not always understand it. Philip Yancey said, The rubber hits the road when we try to show grace to a person most unlike us, even someone morally offensive. When we practice this kind of love, there are going to be those, even other Christians, who are going to question our commitment to love. They're going to ask things like, why are you forgiving them? Why are you staying here? Why do you keep serving like you do? Why do you continue to give them so much? And knowing the answer to this question is important because the answer is not because they deserve it or they're good enough. The answer is not because I'm good enough. The answer for why we keep loving is this, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. When we don't know if we can keep loving, think about that moment in the garden. In agony, blood dripping from his forehead, he had a choice to walk away or to keep going. And Jesus chose to keep loving. And because of that, we too can keep loving so I hate to break it to you. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but 2024 is an election year. And I've come to find that over the last several election years, that practicing kindness, practicing ectenes, love, is very, very difficult for people. The world that we live in the media systems that we surround ourselves with are geared towards promoting anger, divisiveness, and mob mentality thinking. It's us against them, however you cut it. 
And I want to just give you a piece of advice that I often share with the men and impact players that I lead. You might even want to write this down. You can win the argument, but lose the relationship. And if you lose the relationship, you lose. Brothers and sisters, our goal is not to win arguments. Our goal is not even to win elections. Our goal is to win hearts and souls to Jesus Christ. That's our goal. So as we enter into 2024, let's remember to keep love above all and to love with that ectenes love. Here's the third big idea. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul, in the most famous chapter in the Bible about love, 1 Corinthians 13, talks about what love can do. And love can truly do the most remarkable things. I was going through this passage a while back, and I rewrote verses 4 through 8, kind of in my own words, for my own application. And maybe there might be something about this that inspires and encourages you as well. Love will make a hurried man patient, a prideful man humble, an envious man secure, an arrogant man quiet, and a rude man gentle. Love will make a stubborn and selfish man cooperative and willing to sacrifice himself for others. Love will make an irritable and resentful man gracious and forgiving towards others. Love will transform a man who rejoices in wild living and wrongdoing into a man who celebrates truth and righteous living. Love gives a man the internal resources to put up with more than he thought he could take, believe more than he thought was possible, keep hope alive when all seems lost, and endure more than he knew he was capable of enduring. When God's love inhabits the heart of a man, there are no dead ends, only new beginnings. There is so much that love can do. And when you experience God's love in your life, when it inhabits you, it can transform you. It can make you into that new you. But there are a few things that love will not do. Love covers a multitude of sins, but there are a few things that love will not do. The first one is this. Love will not endorse a multitude of sins. Love will not endorse a multitude of sins. There's a prevailing thought in our culture today, and uh, this area is probably more exacerbated than others. But the prevailing thought is, is that it's morally wrong, it's unloving to do anything that might cause someone else to believe that you do not approve or believe that what they are doing is right. This, this idea is simply kind of reflected in this question of, who am I? to say that another person is wrong. And any of us who have raised toddlers, we know how deeply flawed that way of thinking really is. A loving parent would not allow a child to walk into traffic. A loving parent would not 
allow a child to reach into the fireplace and pick up a burning coal. A loving parent would not let a child take a fork and stick it into an electrical socket, right? The, the idea to say, well, who am I to tell my toddler how to live her life would be potentially criminally negligent and certainly not a representation of love. Now, what would the loving parent do? The loving parent would say, hold my hand. Let's wait until the light turns white. Stay with me the whole time, and I'm going to teach you about the laws of the road. A loving parent would put up a fireplace screen to prevent the child from reaching in there. They would teach them about the dangers of fire, and if they saw that child reaching its hand towards the fire, they would grab it and pull it away. A loving parent would baby-proof all of the electrical outlets, and when they see that child grabbing that fork and heading towards the, the outlet with defiant curiosity, they would take the fork away and they would say, no, right? That's what a loving parent would do. So endorsing sinful behavior in the name of love is not love. God is love and God is holy. And those two things are not at odds with one another. They work in perfect synergy with one another. The holiness of God is an expression of the love of God. So what I mean by this is that there's no more loving thing for God to do than to command his people to be holy. Living in the holiness of God is the best place that we can possibly live. So for God to not command us to be holy would be unloving. Jesus came to save us from our sins, not to tell us that our sins are okay. The second thing is that love will not ignore a multitude of sins. Ignoring sin is far from loving, just like ignoring a child's dangerous behavior. In James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, James takes a little bit of a different take on this idea of covering a multitude of sins. But you can see the similarities. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Ignoring an ignorance is not an expression of love. Imagine with me if you were at the beach and you were making sandcastles on the beach and you looked up into the ocean and you saw somebody's arms flailing and you observed that they were drowning in the ocean. You could ignore that person flailing in the ocean and go back to making a sandcastle, but that would be far from the most loving response. The most loving response would be to grab the life preserver, to go out into the ocean, to pull that flailing person who's drowning back onto the shore and help revive them back to life. And you might say, Warren, that's risky. That's scary. I could get injured. I could get hurt in that scenario. Yeah, that's true. Going after sinners who are drowning in their sin is risky. 
Building building sandcastles instead takes a lot less effort. But there's no love in that. The great missionary C.T. Studd once said, Some wish to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I think we have to be careful, Soma, that as we think about what's happening, quote-unquote, out there, that we don't isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves so much that we have no interaction with those around us who are drowning in their sin. We've got to be willing to go and to reach out and to risk. Love will not endorse a multitude of sins. Love will not ignore a multitude of sins. But also, don't miss this, love will not condemn a multitude of sinners. Love will not condemn a multitude of sinners. What makes Jesus so remarkably unique is that no one in human history has been more vigilant about confronting sin while simultaneously compassionate towards sinners as Jesus. Having a conversation with the teacher of Israel at night, Nicodemus, after the most famous verse in all of the Bible, Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let me just stop for a moment there. Some people might hear that verse, they might go, see, don't you hear what he's saying? Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. So I shouldn't condemn anybody. But listen to what he says next. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners because sinners are already condemned. Jesus came to save sinners. So for us, as the people of God, condemning a condemned man is like electrocuting a corpse. It's overkill. Our call is to point people to the only one who can bring them back to life. And that is Jesus. Jesus had a lot of uh, critics during his time. And one of the, the charges that was often leveled against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. Jesus would regularly invite sinners to dine with him and accepted their invitations to dine with them. And when being criticized about this friendship that he had with people that the religious ones called sinners, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, listen to this, but those who know they are sinners. Mark 2.17. I like how Paul summarized it. I think this is a great attitude for us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And Paul didn't always understand this. When we first meet Paul in the New Testament, 
He's a young, self-righteous persecutor of the church named Saul. And he's on the road to Damascus with orders to take out the people of God. Why? Why was Saul so angry towards these people of the way, these Christians? Because they were loving sinners. They were loving people to Jesus Christ. They were welcoming sinners into their homes. And that angered him because Paul made a mistake that many people even today continue to make. He mistakenly believed that by condemning sinners, he was doing God's work. But on the road to Damascus, with fire in his breath, he had that encounter with Jesus. He saw the light, and he saw his own sinfulness, and he realized that he was the one in desperate need of salvation. And as a result, he came to this conclusion. I am the chief of sinners. So I want to make this our same perspective and attitude as well. I want to invite you to repeat these words with me on the screen. I am a sinner. Uh, let's, let's try that again. I'll say it, and then you repeat after me. Okay, here we go. I am a sinner. Just as broken as anyone else. Just as in need of a Savior as anyone else. When we begin to think this way, we don't have that moment when somebody walks into this church and we go, what is she doing here? We don't have that moment where we step into a situation where we feel uncomfortable and we think, I am so much different than that person. We are all sinners. The only difference between us and those that have not been saved is that Jesus came between us. Christians must remember the words that Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Love will not endorse a multitude of sins. Love will not ignore a multitude of sins. And love will not condemn a multitude of sinners. But what love will do is cover a multitude of sins. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He didn't say, it's okay. He didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. He paid the price. He covered the debt that we owed for our sin so that we could be made right with God. And that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because Christ has covered our debt. Our job is not to condemn sinners. They are already condemned by their sin. Our job is to point them to the Savior who will rescue them from sin. Frank, if you'll come on up and uh, prepare to lead us in worship, I want to just remind us one more time of what our top priority is. Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly. That is the chief assignment for chief of sinners like me and like you. Love with all you've got, even when it's hard, even when you don't think you can keep going, just keep loving. Love like Christ and love people to Christ. A new year will not result in a new you. Only giving your life to Christ can make you a new creation. So what is your top priority? I invite you to place the love and the lordship of Jesus Christ above all. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray, God, this morning that as we think about this statement, Lord God, that was made without any wiggle room, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Lord, I just pray, God, this morning in this place that that we would commit our souls and our hearts to this grand design. Lord God, that we would know that we have been made by you to be loved by you, to receive your love. Lord, if there's anyone in this place who has not yet made that decision, to trust in Christ and to become a new person. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. There's no better way to enter into a new year than being a new person in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those of us that call Soma Eastside our home, our family, our body. Lord, I pray, God, that we would make a commitment to you and to one another today that we would love no matter what, that we would keep loving. And Lord God, that the world and this community would know us by our love. Not because someone deserves it, not because I'm good enough, but because of Jesus. Lord, we pray this and we thank you for the price that Christ paid. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going